Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning, church family. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word? Such a joy to have you joining us this weekend. You know, I know next week and we'll make a big deal about everybody being there for the first weekend of the year, but I gotta say, there might be a special blessing upon us who are here for the last weekend of the year. Amen? We're gonna be reading from Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse 15. If you are a guest with us, we wanna say thank you for being here. Every single week here at Calvary, we come to the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today, so we take these moments each and every week to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ and learn to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. And so if you have your Bibles, again, we'll be in Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be joining together. What a gift it is to come around your scriptures. And Lord, I would just pray that right now, I know that in our minds there are probably many things that we are thinking about, we are worried about, we might be anxious about. But right now, Father, we lay it all aside so that we can receive fully what it is that you would have on offer for us this morning. And so quiet our hearts and quiet our minds and quiet our souls. We love you. We receive from you and you alone today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. Well, the week after Christmas, it's an interesting one to say the least. I, like many, have found myself in that post-Christmas haze where scheduling, productivity, even showering seems a bit arbitrary. I mean, why shower on a week where it seems entirely appropriate to continue to put on the same beanie and sweatpants every single day? Any resemblance of our typical rhythms and, and daily rituals have been tossed away as quickly as the Christmas wrapping paper in the Amazon boxes. Our days have been spent lounging on the couch in pajamas with Christmas movies streaming in the background as we move in and out of consciousness, only waking up to ask the question, what day is it and what is for dessert? Now, obviously this week, any desire to eat sensibly has been replaced with the desire to eat anything and everything on the counter, the refrigerator, the freezer, the cupboard, and your favorite fast food drive-through menu. In fact, my wife and I actually went to Chick-fil-A twice this week, two days in a row. We parked in the same parking spot both days. (laughs) Now, this type of behavior is perfectly suited for the handful of days after Christmas and before New Year's. I mean, any other time of the year, we would all be a bit worried, right? I mean, each reach into our stocking, grabbing another handful of Snickers minis or breaking off another chunk of the Toberlone would typically lead us to the experience of shame. But no, 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 not this week, my friends. (laughs) I actually found out that there is a name for this week where time seems to have no meaning. It's called Feral Week. Now, I don't know if that's an official name, but it was the name I read in an article this past week, and it did make me smile. 
And from that same article entitled, Welcome to Feral Week, the author writes this. Generally, Feral Week starts at the exact moment you have completed all of your familial Yuletide traditions and have downshifted into glorious neutral. Midnight mass has been consummated, same with the strange salutations with ancillary aunts and cousins who may as well be from a different planet. There is no more serious money to spend and the fruits of your paycheck have already been plundered from stockings or lay unwrapped under the tree. The last laborious meals of the season, turkey, ham, perfectly crimped mincemeat pies, whatever, have already been cooked and consumed. All that's left to do is to sit around in sedentary stasis waiting for civilization to click back into gear after the new year. And friends, I hate to break it to you, but we have near reached that point where it is time to click back into gear. It is time to put the Christmas decor away, to throw away all the uneaten candy, to pour out the expired eggnog, and to re-engage in our morning routines. And as part of clicking back into gear, many of us right now are beginning to engage in the cultural yet typically empty cultural phenomenon of New Year's resolutions. This next week, we will sit in our favorite coffee shop with our favorite pen and our favorite journal. We'll neatly articulate all the things that we are going to do this year in order to have the best year ever. We're going to eat better. We're going to exercise. We're going to limit our phone use. We're going to read our Bibles more. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to pray we're gonna make more meals at home. We're gonna drink more water. We're gonna attend church every week. We're gonna stop cursing. We're gonna start bedtime earlier, yada, yada. Now, these are all fine things. But as many of us know by now, these resolutions made in December are typically forgotten by February, March, if you're lucky. The picture that you took of your journal filled with all of those beautifully written resolutions, it may garner you some likes on Instagram and Facebook, but ultimately those resolutions are going to fade as fast as feral week. Now, if you've already made resolutions, then Godspeed. Uh, may you live them out to the very end of next year, and I pray that you would become the person that you've always dreamed to be. And I'm certain that I probably myself will make a resolution or two. But ultimately, I would like to engage this year a little bit differently. See, instead of making temporal resolutions that benefit me and me alone, I'm asking God, what spiritual invitations does he have for me that would carry with them eternal significance? Invitations that if accepted would allow me to better partner with God in what he is doing in the world right now. Currently, I'm reading through a book called How to Inhabit Time. Reflecting on the title alone has been worth the cost of the book because especially as Christians... As followers of the way of Jesus, how I, or better said, how we, how we the church inhabit the time that God has appointed us is of the utmost importance. I mean, let's look back for a moment at the words of the Apostle Paul that we started with. Be very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Apostle Paul says something very similar to the church in Colossae. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, the word walk is one of Paul's favorite metaphors to denote the Christian life. And our walk as Christians must be accomplished carefully and with wisdom, with wisdom, 
so that we can best make use of the time that God has gifted us. But what does it mean to walk wisely? And how can we determine that we are doing so? I would simply say that to walk wisely has to begin with some type of discernment. From the book that I mentioned earlier, the author James K.A. Smith says the following. As a creature, every disciple is a temporal being. And our embeddedness in time and history is crucial for discerning what the shape of faithfulness looks like. He says elsewhere in his book, knowing whether it is dawn or dusk changes how you live the next moment. See, knowing when we are will help to shape what faithfulness looks like. Determining the times in which we live should change how we live in the next moment. So with that in mind, I would argue that to walk wisely is accomplished first and foremost by discerning when we are. So when are we? Well, at least for today, we are in the year 2023, but tonight at midnight, we will move into a brand new year, 2024. But to go a little bit further, I would say that when we are is a time for many of concern and confusion. I mean, what will the coming election year bring us? What, will the, uh, what or will the housing market come down? Uh, what will happen to the real estate and financial markets? What about inflation? Will grocery prices go down? Will I be able to afford gas? Will I be able to start saving again? Will things settle down in the Middle East? Will the fighting between the, the Ukraine and Russia stop? When we are well is rel- relatively challenging. Political uncertainty economic uncertainty, global uncertainty, to bring it a little bit closer on top of everything that we are all collectively dealing with. Some are also experiencing spiritual uncertainty, marital uncertainty, health uncertainty, purpose and identity uncertainty. I mean, maybe that's the best way to put it. When are we? We are in a time of uncertainty. And amongst the uncertainty, I believe that the Lord is extending to his church spiritual invitations that are prompted by the practical and the spiritual condition of our time. I believe that these spiritual invitations extended to us would grant us the ability to partner with God in the work that he is doing, to teach us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders by becoming a counter-reality. See, we as a church are called to live out a different alternative than the sin that has been normalized in our society. Or to put another way, N.T. Wright would say like this, we are called, the invitation to us is to become small working models of new creation. See, in the scriptures, there are countless of invitations for us to follow as people who follow Jesus. I mean, spend any amount of time in the Bible and you will be able to come up with a vast list of invitations, commands, and opportunities. And they are all worthy of your focus, your pursuit, and your obedience. I mean, within minutes of contemplation, I was able to jot down at least 10 different invitations that the Lord could very well be inviting his church into in 2024. Maybe the invitation of faithfulness, to be patient, to become people of peace, to become people of love. I mean, the list could go on and on, but the more that I reflected and the more that I prayed, the invitations that the Lord began to highlight for me were four. 
And so what I want to do for the remaining time is I want to look at each of these four invitations. I want to offer some practices and some disciplines that I think will support them. And I also want to propose to you some questions that you might be able to reflect on later. And I do believe that if we were to walk out these invitations, if we were to accept them together as a church, then that would mean in 2024 that we would better become small working models of new creation, which is desperately what the world needs today. So invitation number one. There is a buzz about our modern age and the buzz is brought on by our fast-paced lives and our loud worlds. We are constantly connected to noise and to stimuli and to endless information. In 2010, Eric Schmidt, who was the then CEO of Google, he made a striking estimate that every two days we create as much information as we did from the dawn of time until 20, uh, 2003. I mean, that is a lot of information to be connected to 24-7. And that was in 2010. Imagine what it would look like 14 years later. See, the reality is that each day, many of us, we wake up and the first thing we reach for is our phones. We check Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, CNN, Fox News, our emails and our text messages. And then as we get ready for the day, we turn on our favorite podcast. We hop in the car and we drive to work and we listen to music or to our favorite radio station. We work most of the day with earbuds in, just continuing the flood of content and noise. On the way home, we stop at the store, and while we wait in line, we join in with everybody else around us, staring down at these devices that seem to have way more control over us than we have over them. At home, we've, we've made the rule that phones cannot be out during dinner, which causes everybody a little bit of unease, and we quickly work through our plates so that we can make sure that we haven't missed out on anything. And dinner already already seems rushed because three nights a week, we're out and about, you know, tonight maybe it's the, the kids' second and third sports practice. See, our schedules are full and they're getting fuller. Our days are long and they're getting longer. Our lives are loud and they are getting louder. I mean, we are exhausted, but isn't everyone? I mean, isn't that just simply 21st century living? And in the 21st century, it is said that most families spend as little as one hour a day with one another due to life's modern demands. But this is normal, right? And to answer that question, yes, it is normal. But is it right? I've been med meditating for some time on the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica. And while these words were written in a letter to this church, I do believe that they are for us today. And he says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So the first invitation, I believe, is an invitation to a quiet and slow life. I mean, what if we as followers of the way of Jesus, when we woke in the morning, our first reach was not for a device, it was for our Bible. What if as followers of the way of Jesus, when we got ready in the, mo uh, in the morning, we actually engaged with the Spirit of God instead of our favorite podcasts? Asking the Spirit of God, where are you working today and how might I partner with you? What if when we drove to work, instead of listening to the radio, we actually rolled back on the volume and we began to intercede for the people amongst us that are in crisis? What if we compiled a list of the names of the people that we work with and as we drove to work, we actually prayed over each one? 
What if while waiting in the grocery store line, we forced our phones to stay in our pockets and we actually engage with the humanity around us? What if we took back our, our dining room tables and our evenings, limiting the things that we commit to in order to be fully present with those who we say matter most? What if dinner was never rushed, but we actually learned as families how to minister to one another? What if our evenings were slow, giving our nervous systems a break from the noise of our day and creating space to receive the presence of God? What if when all is boiling over on Facebook this next year, we chose not to add to the noise, but we chose to love well those in our proximity instead of badgering a stranger? So here are some practices and disciplines. How about the practice of silence and solitude? Creating intentional space in your day to be silent, to disconnect from everything, to be quiet before the Lord. Or what about the practice of the Sabbath? I know it sounds Old Testament, it sounds really old, but I think it is very relevant for us today to take one day a week to stop, rest, delight, and to worship. To realize that the world can continue on even if you're not connected to it. Or what of the, the practice or maybe the discipline of restraint? That when you would go on Facebook this next year and you have all sorts of witty things to say to the moronic statement that you just saw someone post, but you actually chose restraint instead of engagement. So how about a written reflection? Maybe at some point, would you reflect on this? What is my noise? What's your noise? What is the thing that you constantly go to? What is the thing that fills every waking moment of your life? What is the ambient soundtrack to your day? What's your noise? Along with each one of these invitations, I wanna also extend some book recommendations. And I'm gonna have to caveat this with a couple things. When anybody offers you a book recommendation, you have to receive it with maturity. And here's what that means. You have to be able to chew the meat and spit out the bones. If you walked into my house and you saw my library, you would probably freak out. You're gonna see some books and some authors. You're gonna wonder, what the heck is Pastor Daniel reading? Trust me, it's okay. Because I am mature enough to read and to understand and to contemplate and then also to move beyond the weird thought on chapter five. So with that caveat, meaning that you cannot email me this next week, here is the first couple book recommendations for this first invitation. I think The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer is a brilliant book on how to slow down. Uh, there's a new book that's coming out in the end of January by a pastor in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, his name's Darren Whitehead. Again, book's not out, so I've never read it, but I do trust him. The book is called The Digital Fast, 40 Days to Detox Your Mind and Reclaim What Matters Most. I think those might be both a beautiful opportunity for us. So, invitation number two. Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, as Christians, we know that we should read the Bible Right? I mean, if, if step one of the Christian journey is to believe in Jesus, then you might argue to say, well, then step two must be to read the Bible. And while we would deem it as being important, many of us do 
believe it might be optional. I mean, reading the Bible was so important in my household growing up that my dad used to pay us to read the Bible. And in fact, he's sitting here right now, and I would like for you to give me some money as I am reading the Bible even currently. (laughs) But you know, it's funny, I kind of was, you know, commemorating and commiserating the fact that he doesn't pay me anymore, but then I realized last night that you guys now pay me to read the Bible. (laughs) Ha, it's a joke, it's funny, right? Okay. And see, while I believe that most Christians would say that reading the Bible is important, it's just not part of our daily rhythms. It's not part of our routines. Researcher George Gallup and Jim Castelli speaks of the problem and they state the outcome like this. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. A Barna research poll confirms this reality. At least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Uh, another survey of graduating high school students re- uh, revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And potentially the most frightening, a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Now that might shock some of you, but he didn't. It actually was Jesus. And we're gonna go through that in our next series. See, according to more data, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the 10 commandments, leading George Barna to say the following. No wonder why people break the 10 commandments. They don't know what they are. See, biblical illiteracy is a problem. A recent Lifeway research survey examined how Americans view Christian theology. Fewer than half say the Bible is 100% accurate in all its teachings. Half say the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. Three quarters say that the Bible must contribute, or that they must, sorry, contribute to their own self-effort for salvation. So our second invitation, I believe, is an invitation to biblical literacy and practice. I mean, what would begin to happen if we as a church began our days not reaching for our phones, but reading a psalm? What if we spent time together examining the words and the teachings of Jesus and actually putting them into practice? What if we paused midday to read a wisdom literature, like a proverb? I mean, what if instead of being nervous about people asking us to make sense of challenging passages of scripture, what if we were equipped to engage thoughtfully and confidently? I mean, here's what I know to be true. The world's problems will not be solved by post-Christian solutions. And what that means for the church is that we as Christians, we need to know deeply the story of God that we read in the Bible. We must be able to articulate the gospel beginning at creation. We need to be able to walk people through and to examine and to explain the fall, the story of Israel, the coming of Christ, Jesus' life, teachings, death, burial, and resurrection. We need to be able to speak to Christ's atoning work on the cross. We need to be able to explain what the indwelling of the Spirit of God does and the work of renewal that we are currently participating in. And ultimately, we need to be able to proclaim with assurance the beautiful reality that one day Christ will return and he is going to establish new heavens and a new earth. And we will get to be with him forever. And so in order to live into that, here are a couple practices and disciplines. Pretty simple, but scripture reading. Like, we're actually going to have to read the Bible. We're going to have to do Bible study. And so for written reflection, I would just propose this question. What is my plan? 
See, you have to have a plan. And right now, at the end of the year, there are some incredible Bible reading plans out there. Uh, Alexis was just talking about our formation journal. That's gonna take you through multiple parts of the scriptures, Monday through Friday. It'll lead you in a prayer of examine on Saturday mornings. There's places for you to take your message notes on the weekend, and you can end every Sunday with a prayer, a beautiful thing that we've created for you. Um, if you, I think there are a few extra if you did not pre-order one, so please grab them. If not, we'll do a digital version that you can download online and you can follow together with us. Uh, but there's tons of plans. There's one right now that I, I actually thought it was a joke the first time I saw it a few years ago. It's called The Shred. And uh, the Bible plan takes you through reading the entire Bible in the month of January. Sounds ridiculous, but people do it. I'm sure it's amazing. I don't think I'll participate this year, but if you do, please tell me how it goes. But find a plan. Uh, book recommendations. I think everybody needs to have some type of a Bible commentary. One that I really enjoy is called the New Illustrated Bible Commentary. You can pick it up on Amazon. Another book, too, that I love is called How Not to Read the Bible. Dan Kimball, I think, does a brilliant job of looking at some of the really difficult passages and begins to help us to articulate them, to never read a Bible verse by itself, to understand the context, to understand the different types of books that we're reading, that the Bible is not just one book, it's many books, it's many different genres, and based upon knowing that, it's gonna be how we pursue it and read it. Which moves us to invitation number three. We do live in a time where we are the most connected, yet so many of us are experiencing profound loneliness. We have hundreds of digital acquaintances, but very few actually know us deeply. And while I think that we do long to be known, we are nervous. Will we be accepted? Will others deem us worthy of their affection and time? If we're fully known, will we also be fully loved? And amid the nerves and the often difficult nature of life together, I do believe that the Lord is inviting us into it even deeper. So invitation number three is this, an invitation to deep community and perseverance. From their book, The Other Half of Church, authors Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks say the following, Jesus intends for his church to function as a family that is bonded together with joyful attachments of love. See, the church is a family. And while at times it is imperfect, it is the heart of God that the salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ would not just be to get us into heaven, but it would actually would be a community-creating event that we would learn to engage with one another as a family that all of us from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different genders, we can come together into this family and we can be there for one another. I had a beautiful experience at our 9 a.m. service. A gentleman from our church who's from Ethiopia came up to me and he said, hey, I just wanna pray for you. And he's like, but my English isn't real great, so I wanna pray for you in, in my language. And it was just like this beautiful moment of receiving these words. But that's the church, that's the beautiful nature of what this is. That is what we are invited into when we say yes to Jesus. So what are some practices for that? How about commitment? A lot of you are gonna be doing Rooted 10 week beginning next week. That's gonna be an incredible journey that we get to walk in together. But you have to commit to it. And you have to commit to life after it. Or what about submission? We hate the word but community does take a submitting to one another. And then even just the practice of faithfulness. 
Listen, there are times where your community and your people and your church will be your favorite people in the entire world. And there are times where we will drive one another crazy, but we don't get to walk away. I was listening to a podcast, maybe that's my noise. I've listened to a podcast recently and uh, someone had mentioned this phrase that community is a delight and it's a discipline. That is so true. There are times where it is the greatest of delights where I just cannot wait to get together with my community. I love Nancy's cookies and I love the study we're doing and everything's just absolutely amazing. There are also times where it's a discipline. I don't like the cookies any longer. I don't like the study that we picked. That little personality nuance to that one person that was really cute in the beginning, it kind of is annoying now. But we push through and we stay committed and we keep pressing in even when it is difficult. So maybe the reflection for this portion is, who are my people? Who are your people? Now you can't be close and deeply known by everyone, but you need to be known by at least a few. Who are those people that you're gonna commit to this year? I think a great book recommendation is uh, one, but kind of a title that we already talked about, but When the Church Was a Family by Joseph Hellerman. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. This book, if you read it, it's going to press on some of your buttons, especially because we're Americans. And for that reason, I love it, and I think that you should read it. But it will challenge you in a good way. Okay, now this leads us to our final invitation. Psalm 90, verse two reads like this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There is something that I've noticed over the years, that people are often discomfortable with the change of seasons. There's a discomfort as things change. And I'm not just simply talking about winter, spring, summer, or fall, I'm talking about the change in our age and in our stages of life. See, often the young wanna be older. My daughter right now, she's six years old. Sometimes she wants to wear clothes that she sees older kids wearing. And I have to say, I don't think so, my lovely little daughter. Be six. It's okay to be a kid. You don't have to grow up so fast. And it's interesting because the young want to be older, but also oftentimes the older want to be younger. See, we tend to experience a lot of discomfort as we age. And yes, I do realize that there is some physical discomfort when aging, but I'm talking more about the emotional discomfort. It is a bit uncomfortable to age. Even for myself, the gray hairs, the thinning of hairs, it's emotional. It can bring up insecurities in us. But what if, what if while many in our society struggle with the discomfort found in the ever-changing seasons of life? What if we as the church were willing to acknowledge and to name our season and to embrace it fully? See, invitation number four is an invitation to acknowledge and to name your season. J.K. Smith says this, recognizing the reality of seasons can be incredibly liberating. Not only because it changes our expectations, but also because it attunes us to receive God's grace in different ways in the different eras of life. So what I wanna do to close out our time together is I wanna provide three written reflections based upon age categories. 
Some of you are going to hate this, but you got to go with me. So ages 1 to 29, here would be a written reflection that I would encourage you maybe to do at some point this week. And you can just write on the top of your paper, it's time to dream. Listen, young person, we the church and the world around you needs you to come out from behind the Xbox controller and your cell phone and begin to engage fully with the very things that God has for you. You have so much potential in you. There is so much that God wants to do in you. And I think for a lot of young people, I say this out of love, but you are squandering what God wants to do. You are falling right into the trap of the enemy. And I think one of the greatest traps of the enemy is just strictly laziness. We need you to get a vision for your life. We need you to dream. We need you to ask the Lord, what are you doing in my heart? How have you wired me? Where does that, where does that intersect with my desires and my makeup? How is God inviting you to bring him glory? You need to question that, ponder that, and you need to dream again. Now the next group, ages 30 to 59, it's time to be. A couple weeks back, a group of us were in this room and we were having a time of prayer and the prayer kind of invitation that was put in front of us was, what newness is the Lord inviting you into in the new year? It was so interesting. I start walking around this room and I'm praying, all right, Lord, what's the new thing? What's the exciting thing? What's the great thing that you have for me, for my family? What's the incredible new, the newness that you're inviting us into? Guess what the Lord said? Nothing. He didn't say a stinking thing. It was quiet in my mind. To be honest, I was a little bit frustrated because right, it's the end of the year and everybody's talking about, hey, there's new things in 2024. Brilliant things are gonna happen. I'm sitting here being like, Lord, I don't hear anything. And then in the stillness and the quiet of that moment, you know what the Lord said? Just be. See, there comes a point in your season of life where you have to stop chasing the new and be faithful with what you have. See, I don't actually think a lot of newness is gonna happen for me next year. And guess what? I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay that I am called right now to pastor well, to love my wife, to love our three kids, to steward my home well. And guess what? There might not be some big grand adventure that we get to begin next year. And that just has to be okay. And some of, I think, this age group, what holds us back is we keep trying to chase after the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Stop and be faithful and plant your feet where God has you and find a community to invest into. Find your people to pour into. Don't leave when it gets difficult. Don't chase after the new thing. Sit in the stillness of what God would have and guess what? It might seem mundane at times and guess what? Good. Get comfortable in the mundane. Now, the last one. This is the one I'm most nervous about. <laughs> now, here's what I'll say. You have to let me explain it before you charge the platform, okay? <laughs> so that's my warning. Let me explain myself. Ages 60 and beyond, here is your written reflection. It's time to finish. Now, wait. 
Just stop it. I see some of your faces. You're like, I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him. Listen, here's what I'm saying. When I say it's time to finish, I'm not telling you that it is game over. In fact, I might be saying the complete opposite. See, I'm, what I'm thinking in my mind, I've, I've never ran a race or a marathon in my entire life, but here's what I'm assuming. That when you get to the end of the race, you do not slow down and conserve your energy. You go for it. It's full send. We don't stop. We don't just casually drift off into oblivion. No, no, see, this is the time and this is the season where you have to press and to push into what God still has for you. And in fact, I wanna back this up with some research. The New England Journal of Medicine published a study in 2018 reporting that the most productive age in human life is older than we think. The article said this, an extensive study in the USA found that the most productive age in human life is between 60 and 70 years of age. The, the hoots and hollers are my favorite part this weekend. The second most productive stage of human beings is from 70 to 80 years of age. And the third most productive is between 50 and 60. You know what that's telling me? There is beautiful days ahead for you who are older in our church. And can I just propose something to you? Listen. I love the next generation. I, I borderline enjoy my generation, but here's what I would say. We desperately need you to play the role that you have in the church. Can, I'm just gonna call this for what it is. There are a lot of young people who are drifting from Christian orthodoxy right now. There are a lot of young people who are buying into this vision that culture has. And we need you who are older, you have done such a good job of staying with traditional orthodoxy. You have held on to the teachings of the scripture. Do not leave us yet. You have to stay with us and you have to help us to plant ourselves here. Be gracious with us, be kind towards us, but be strong with us. Listen, we need you now to step fully into what God has for you. We need you to invest in the next generation. We need you to speak life and to speak truth. We need you to correct us when it is time and it is appropriate. But we're also young, so do it kindly or we'll get upset. <laughs> Listen, we are a multi-generational church for a reason. It is a value of our church. So you need to know that we value you and we need you. And there are things that God has for you. You know, I remember a conversation I had on the phone with someone who's older. And one of the things that they kept bringing up was, gosh, why doesn't God just take me home now? I'm ready. And what I said is, hey, listen, you might be ready. But if you're still here, God's not ready. And I think for some, and this is a very specific call out, so maybe it's for someone in this room today, but I think for some, part of why the Lord has not brought you home just yet is because there is relational dysfunction in your family and you have to be the one to make it right. 
There are conversations that you need to be the grown-up in the room and to have so that when you leave, you are actually getting to set up your family for great days ahead. But if you leave without having those conversations, you are going to leave them in a continual state of dysfunction and we will just watch that continue down for the generations. So, what if in our time of uncertainty, our church, our church took seriously these spiritual invitations? That we became people who in the chaos and the noise of our modern world, we learned to live a slow and a quiet life. And in the created quiet, we learned how to over time to understand and to love the scriptures, bringing us life and confidence to engage our cultural moment with the truth of God's word. And to not do this alone, but for the church to become a family, a complex web of spiritual relationships, loving God and loving one another and striving to love those who are caught up in this world of darkness. And what if instead of with disappointment, we embrace life's changing seasons as a gift from God, knowing full well that every day has been given to us is full of potential to bring him glory. That, my friends, I think would begin to shift and to change things around us that would help us to become small working models of new creation. And so with that, I want us all to stand to our feet. And the team is gonna lead us in a song of reflection in just a moment. But before we do, I thought it was so fitting to end our time together to circling up in pockets and just having one person pray. I'm not gonna prime the pump. I'm not gonna prompt this. I'm just gonna expect for us as the church to do church things, turn around, Find some individuals, one person prays, the team will lead us, and then we'll be dismissed in just a moment. But let's begin to pray with one another. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.